0: Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Well, we are, we are uh, entering into a new series here, such an important series, understanding the Holy Spirit and who He is. You know, I've I had the opportunity to travel really all around the world. And in my travels, I've met so many different types of people, people of so many different religions. Whenever I get into a taxi cab, I find myself being in so many different discussions. And one of the things that I find is a lot of people have an apprehension towards what we would call religion or organized religion. But I find so many people are open to the idea of spirituality. You know, it's funny, there's a new phrase that people say they're spiritual but not religious. And part of it is because they see religion causing wars and they see so many problems and they see just mean people getting created, right? And so, but there's a part of them that, that believes that there's something more to this world. And they don't know what to put words to. They don't know who to call him or it or she. And so they, they give terminology the best they can. But one thing that I've come to find is that most people I find believe that this is just a stage that life is playing out on. And that if you were to look behind the scene, there's something there. And this series is about addressing what that something is. Because the fact is, is that we don't believe our spirituality is based on a transcendent God that is far off and behind the scenes. We believe that God's understanding or his presentation of spirituality is imminent. It's close. And it is through the person of the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God but that God expresses himself in three persons. God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Father creates, and the Son redeems, but the Spirit sanctifies, he grows us up into maturity. Part of the problem with this conversation is that many of us have had some kind of experience or some kind of relationship with people who talk about the Holy Spirit. There has most likely been an overemphasis of the Holy Spirit or an underemphasis of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is overemphasized, it's Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Everything is the Holy Ghost, and nothing can be done in such a way where that's normal. Now, again, um, you know, I- I'm not saying that we shouldn't have emotion, but there's a problem when we define the Holy Spirit as emotion. That's that's problematic. And 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 part of the issue is that when we believe that the Holy Spirit can't operate in the normal things in life, and so everything is supernatural, and so there's a miracle on every block, an edema in every corner, and you really can't have a normal conversation. I remember one guy, I was talking to him, and he was like, uh, we were in college, and he was in his room, and you know he had been really down. And he was like, man, the demons are dealing with me. They're dealing with me. And I was like, man, you know what? Demons are real. Let's pray about this thing. And then I just started noticing, like, he was always talking about how demons were dealing with me. I was like, okay, man. And he's like, the demons are dealing with me. I was like, so what have you been doing all week? He's like, man, I just stay in my room, and I eat pizza and soda, and just, I feel heavy. I just feel sluggish. And I was like, I think you're dehydrated. I think... I think that's what's happening in you. It's H2O that you might need as well, in addition to the demonic fight. And so one of the things that, one of the things that, um, so that you see is that when you, when you overemphasize the Holy Spirit, you're always looking for supernatural experiences, one after the other, but you don't really see God in the practical things in life. But then there is an underemphasis of the Holy Spirit, and I think this is what we see probably a lot more when we see an underemphasis of the Holy Spirit, that's when people replace the Holy Spirit with the Bible, right? And so what they tend to do is they just want more insights. You remember Cracker Jacks? Remember Cracker Jacks? You get the Cracker Jack box, and there's always something new in there, and you get like a ring or some cards or stuff like that. And so people treat the Bible like it's a Cracker Jack box. They always want some new profound idea and just blow me away, and I just want to get deeper. And so people define deep by not knowing more, not doing more by knowing more, right? And so they always want new ideas. But the problem is is that the Bible says knowledge puffs up and love builds up. And so the, the real issue is that people think becoming more insightful means becoming more spiritual. But this is the wild part. Like, the way that God expresses spirituality is not just by experiences. Now, notice the phrase I'm saying, not just by experiences. And not just by emotion. And not just by intellect or insight. God expresses spirituality by a person. And is the person of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. The the Holy Spirit is all throughout the Bible. You can look in the second verse of the Bible and see the Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so we see the Spirit even working in creation. And so when you look in the Old Testament, the word for spirit is the word ruah, and it has this idea of breath and wind. And if you look in the New Testament, it's the word pneuma, and it is also breath and wind. But both of them give this idea of not just wind, but a blast of wind. It gives this idea of power, of enablement, right? And so when you look in the scriptures, you see that the Spirit of God is always causing us to do something that we could not do on our own. Now the crazy thing about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament with the Spirit is that the Spirit of God would dwell on people only temporarily in the Old Testament. So they say temporary dwellings of the, uh, of, the, um, of the Spirit of God would be there, so much so that David in Psalm 51 says that, take not your spirit from me. So he was only there for a while in endowing them to do something they could not do on their own. But in the New Testament, that's not the case. In the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 1, it tells us that the Spirit of God seals us and guarantees us for our day of redemption. As Elizabeth was reading that off, Romans 8, it, and that the Spirit of God is in us to bear witness to us. He is our evidence that we're saved. It is his presence that reminds us that, he is, that we are his. And so the, he says he has sealed us for the day of promise. He's he sealed us in such a way where we know for certain that God is with us. But the sad reality is that many of us do not realize the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are, many will come into a relationship with God and get saved, but then a relationship with God is based upon experiences and Bible knowledge, but not his presence. And, and so it becomes this weird thing because you can read your Bible and you can have an experience in your church, but what are you going to do Monday when you leave out of the church or when, when your Bible study is boring? What do you do then? You see, he's not built up in intellect. He's not just built in emotions. He is inside of you, in your intellect, in your emotions. He's all inside of you. He's all up in your business. He is there. And so one of the key phrases that Jesus says in John Chapter 14, I think we have it. He says, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you like an orphan. Many of you that I've talked to, as I've talked about your parents, you say, yeah, that's my dad, but he wasn't with me. Yeah, he gave me life, but after he gave me life, he wasn't in my life In many ways, that's what happens when someone fathers you but doesn't parent you. They weren't with you. And Jesus is like, don't you ever think for a second that you get saved and I leave you. You come into a relationship with God and now... The expression of that relationship is not just thinking about Jesus who is on the throne far off, but is remembering that the Holy Spirit lives in you and is up close. And so, the, even though we struggle with loneliness, we must preach to ourselves that we are not alone. We must remind ourselves that the third person of the Trinity lives in me. God lives in me. He lives in me. He's not just with me. He's in me. And that means that not only am I not alone, I am being parented while I'm alone. I am being cared for in my alone state. And so we're going to talk more about the expression of the Holy Spirit and how he expresses himself. But it is so important that you understand that God is not far off. He is so close to you right now. I remember before I met my beautiful wife, I remember I, um, I, I tried to talk to this girl, you know, and I, I came with my best game, I mean, the best game that I could possibly imagine, you know, and I was trying to talk to her, and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm saved. No, 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 I'm saved, saved. I'm really saved, girl. And You know, I was trying to talk to her, and, and I, you know, and I was, tw- I was 20, about 24, about that, and, and I was getting that, like, the blues, like, oh, man, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in my life, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and where am I going to go? And I had all this anxiety, and so I met this girl, and I thought she was so cute, so I had to talk to her, and I'm, I'm throwing all this game at her, and she's just, I'm striking out, you know? And I remember one night um, I talked to her on the phone, and I could just tell she didn't like me, and, you know, I was like, man, this is not going to work. And I remember I sat down in my house, and, and I was like, man, Lord, what, what's going to happen with my life? Like, Am I going to be the man that I, I see people doing stuff? Am I going to be the man I dream I can be? Am I ever going to have that family that I see people having? Like, what is, what is going to happen with me? Or are you going to just, am I just going to be like left on the wayside? And I felt this tension inside of me. And I tell you, that Romans 8 that we la- read before, the spirit, his spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God, something just, I mean, it was like I got plugged into something, something fueled inside of me, and I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I knew I am not alone. And that girl does not define whether I'm gonna be with somebody, and my future is in your hands. And I began to preach to myself because I knew someone was with me. You know, the sad reality is that far too often we're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit because what we see on TV. And the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit is alive, and there are times when you are alone, and you tell yourself, I am not alone. He is with me. God is with me, and he lives inside of me. You have not been orphaned. You are not alone. And the beautiful truth, the beautiful truth is that that truth walks with you, that the Spirit of God walks with you as you leave this place. And so today we're gonna unwrap this and we're gonna talk about this for the next few weeks, but I pray this doesn't just go into your head, I pray this goes right to your heart. I pray you know how much God loves you and how much God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you and he wants to always be with you, so much so that he has placed himself inside of you. The scriptures give us this incredible picture of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the words that gets used is comforter, but really it's, it's so hard to, to, to wrap your mind around who he is. The Greek word is paraclete or parakletos. It means to come alongside, but it's so crazy because have you ever heard of a paralegal? That's, yes, you have. That's I say those things so that you can say yes. Um, <laughs> the word paraclete, it's this idea of coming alongside of someone, but para would mean to come alongside and kalios Uh, would mean to call out and so the two words come together and it means to just come alongside of someone and but the word really it's talking about almost like someone that's like a lawyer that greek word was used for like a legal assistant and so when you see a legal assistant they do they do more than um, help you before the judge And they do more than counsel you. They do more than be your advocate. There's so many things that that legal assistant would do. And so the imagery is so full. And so some of your versions and your Bibles will have different words for what the parakletos is because it's hard to just put down one idea for who he is and what he can do in your life. But I want to deal with three different ways that he really is in your life and is called to empower you in your Christian life. Now, what is the goal of this series? That you would start living with power that you would start living with confidence, that you would be more intimate with him and bold in the world because you know he is with you and that legal assistant, that counselor, that advocate is in you and with you. And, it, and, it, and it's not, you know, some people last week we had a great service and people go, oh man, I'm so charged up. And then you hit the week and you weren't as charged up on Monday, right? It was, it was crazy, right? And so, and, and that's what I'm saying. So, so, so strength can't come from a Sunday. It's gotta come from a person. And and you're like, well, you know, he's so many things here. Yeah, because you need so many things. You need an advocate and a helper and a counselor. You need all those things. And he will express himself. But you must believe. It is not enough just to believe that God created and Jesus saves. You must believe that that the Holy Spirit sanctifies, grows you up, and is with you. And I want you to believe that more. And when people, when you look in the book of Acts, when people are arrested with the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is alive and empowers them, the city can't be the same. People start changing in front of people, and the whole city can't be the same because there are these people with God living inside of them. And they start doing things, and their life becomes more adventurous because they think, if God is with me, who can be against me? And they start doing things empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is, it is bigger than an experience, bigger than an insight. It is having confidence in his presence. I want you to have confidence in his presence, confidence in him. And I want you more confident in what God can do in your life because he is with you. God wants to live inside of you. It, just, just wrap your mind around that. He is living inside of you. <laughs> okay, I'm never going to get to this sermon. All right, so um, one of the first things that I, I want to look at is this idea in, in the book of um, in the book of John, uh, John chapter 14. I touched on it before. John fourteen sixteen. this idea that the, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Now most of you will not have, if you have your Bible, uh, you may not have this verse with the word comforter there. Many of you will have the word helper, but um, here I want to read it. He says, and I will ask the Father um, and he will give you another helper or comforter to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. Okay, you can go back. Uh, the, uh, yeah. So it says he will abide with us forever, this idea of a comforter. Now, think of that, the, this, this imagery of you needing comfort. You needing someone to bring some uh, presence to your life. And to be with you. Um, uh, one of the powerful things that you can experience is when God comforts you in the midst of pain, where there has been tragedy, where there has been some kind of trial that you have gone through, and you see yourself having a confidence in God that seems strange to the world. That you, you feel so much joy, or you feel so much uh, uh, peace that it doesn't even make sense to the world. And because you have the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, even outside of what the Holy Spirit does, there is a ministry of just being with people. Whenever I have to go to the hospital or whenever I'm with people in bad times, one of the things I've learned to do is not say anything and just be with people. The whole book of Job is about people being around people in hard times and saying all the wrong things. I mean, have you ever been seeing somebody like that? They're like, just shut, shush. There is a ministry of just being with someone. I had a friend named Scott, and Scott lost his job. And we sat down, and Scott was a very verbose person, meaning he likes to talk a lot, and so he started to talk. And, you know, I just was like, you know what, you lost your job, man, I'm going to just hang out with you. And he's just talking and talking. I want to say we went a good 90 minutes I don't know if he breathed, but he was talking the entire time. And I mean, he was just going, going, going. And I said, man, he's going through stuff. And I, and I sat there, and then he, he, I'll never forget, he goes, man, thank you for all that you said. And I was like, oh. I was like, okay. And I was sitting there, and I said, man, what? And so I ended up leaving North Carolina, and when I left, he was like, man, remember that time when I lost my job? I said, yeah, and he says, man, it meant so much that you would just be with me. You know, some of us are looking for so many things for God to do, but sometimes you just have to recognize he just wants to be with you. And he wants to be with you in some of the toughest moments of your life. That when you are feeling some of the deepest pain, unimaginable confusion, he is still with you and i mentioned that in my prayer that one of the names of jesus is emmanuel god with us that he just wants to be around you and he wants to be with you through your pain but that also changes the way that you pray and it changes the way that you worship we are not singing to some kind of dead being we are singing to a christ who is sitting on a throne but we're also singing with the presence of the holy spirit right here and so there should be this freedom that we have knowing he is with us, but he is comforting us through our pain. You know, this, um, this idea of pain and tragedy is, for some of us, some of the scariest things that we can imagine. Some of my hardest moments in ministry is when I have to do funerals for younger people, when people's stories and their dreams have been lost. And when I'm with those families, it's, it's, it's really words I can't put together and then I just hug, and then I just kind of rub on their back, and I just cry with them. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit is a person who his presence dwells with you through some of your deepest pain right now. Some of you are going through pain right now, and you're going through a confused season right now, and I want you to trade in your anxiety for anticipation And I want you to trade in your fear for joy. And I want you to say, I am, I I want you, when you are in that moment, I want you to tell yourself, I am not alone. He is with me. And so there's something about just knowing that the Emmanuel is with you through some of your deepest and darkest moments. Now, let me just add on to this. He is with you, and he is with you, not just through your pain. He's with you even when you sin. What I mean by that is he doesn't run out the door when you've grieved him, when you've done something against what you know you should not be doing. He doesn't leave. The expression of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus says, I "I will not leave you nor forsake you. And so he will not leave us through the dark moments of pain, but he also won't leave us through our dark moments of sin. He still wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. Powerful, powerful Jesus. His his presence is with us. The other thing that um, it, it talks about here is this imagery, not only of him being a comforter, but also him being a counselor. John 16 and 13, we have it up here. He says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. It's such a beautiful picture of what he does. He comforts, but he also counsels, right? He gives this picture to us that he will walk with us and speak into the very details of our lives. Now, the, the, the thing that we have to be careful about, though, is that it, he will guide us into all truth. He's not just going to dispense truth like an ATM, like I need to know something, and he just spits it out. He will guide us to it. And so that's the beauty of our relationship with him. He walks with us, and he gives us insights. Now, how does he guide us to truth? Well, certainly, the pictures that we see in the Bible and some of the experiences you've had, some of you have had incredible visions from God. Some of you have had incredible dreams from God. Some there have been times when I may have been preaching, and you just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, convicting you. Some of you have had very big moments where you just heard God in powerful ways. Other times, there might have been a scripture you read and it just jumped off the page and you knew that was God speaking to you and you had that confidence. And I I love it when God shouts at us and guides us into truth. But there are times where he whispers too, where he's not just as loud because he's guiding. He's not just dispensing truth, he's guiding us to truth. And there are times when he is silent and all of that is to build up our faith in him. Uh, we, we were saying the other day, I was telling somebody and you know, I was counseling them, and, and this is one of the things I said is that God shouts and whispers at times is silent, but he's always guiding. And so you can have the confidence of knowing that God is always guiding you to truth, and the truth of him. He is guiding you to those truths, and uh, we felt it important to just uh, say some practical things real quick in this idea of trying to understand that truth um, we have some points that we put up here and I think are really important. One, one of the things I, I notice when people are trying to understand the truth of the Holy Spirit and the truth of their lives is that we have to see that there are some practical things that you can do, right? That you can pray and that you can seek counsel and that you can also just read your word. Like those are just some practical things. And then, and then you know, you can, in, in the times that he's not answering when you want, you're just gonna have to wait on God and then you can journal. One of the things that um, we did the other week is that uh, we were uh, in our, uh, our prayer time as pastors. We were writing down different things that God is doing. And it is amazing. I look back to a journal probably from about 15 years ago, and I was amazed at how I, was ri- I wrote down things for God to do. And then I would write down when he did them. And it was amazing. Sometimes when you think God... Um, is not speaking it really isn't long as we think right so sometimes it's really important to journal and write down those things that you're asking and then write down when he did it because you can celebrate those different moments that God had but not only do you have to do like reading and seeking God and, and praying and getting counsel and the second thing I said was to wait in the journal but sometimes you're just gonna have to take a step of faith you're just gonna have to trust God I mean, there there are times when you just are not going to hear from God, and you are just going to have to take the best step of faith that you possibly can. But why does God do that? If he's with us, why does he do that? If God were here, and he was right here, you know, Jesus says it's better that I go. If God were right here, I would be treating him like Siri, you know what I'm saying? Like I'd be asking him stuff all the time, I'd be asking him to do stuff all the time, right? And there's a very good chance if he was with me, I would be, I would not only, I would love having him here, but there's a, there's a tendency inside of me to want things more than I want him, you know? I have that tendency inside of me. And sometimes God puts a waiting period to see if you will continue to seek him or the thing that you're asking him for. And so when he guides you into truth, it is often a slow and arduous process. But Jeremiah 29, I think we have it up there. In Jeremiah, it reads this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When God is guiding you to all truth, here's the deal. He's the truth. He is guiding you to himself. And so, you know, that's, you know, I, I remember somebody was like, man, I need God to show up right now and just tell me when I'm going to get a job. Just tell me right now when I'm going to get a job. And they were praying all hard. And then a month later, it's like, God didn't show up. He didn't tell me when I was going to get a job. I was like, are you still praying? He's like, man, I just, I just can't anymore. I was like, well, God is not like a spiritual LinkedIn, right? I mean, he's, like he's never, he does not define himself as a job recruiter. He is, your, he, is, he is a father, and he's a redeemer, and, and, and the Spirit of God walks with you, but you can't define him based upon something he hasn't said about himself. Now, he will provide for you. I said, did you eat this month? So I did do that. I was like, okay, so God is providing for your life. Could it be that God was testing your heart? And could it be that it is a slow, long painful process to seek God. Seeking God can be so painful sometimes, and it can feel so confusing at times. You know, when we came here to New York, do you think it was a good idea to come up here when we had a five-bedroom house to live in 600 square feet? When you put it on paper, I mean, no, when you just really look at it, and, and so when I, I remember looking at it, and, and, and we pay more for that 600 square feet than we do for a five-bedroom house. And so as, I, as we sat down and we thought about it, as we sat down and we thought about it, we were like, this is crazy. This is crazy. And I had these impressions from God, like, I, I feel like God's telling me to do this. But I feel like the paper is saying no. I feel like this paper is saying no. The pros and the, the cons are so huge. And I, and, I, and I sought counsel, and I did. And then there just came a point where I just had this impression that I was supposed to move to Brooklyn to start a church. And we had very little money. In fact, I, 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 I venture to say we had sold uh, one of my cars. We had sold one car and kept another. So we had about $3,000, $4,000 in the account. That's it. But we got to stay in an apartment, and that was all we had. And I remember people were like, Do you, Are you sure? And I said, I'm kind of sure. Just being real with you, I'm kind of sure. They're like, well, well, you know, I mean, it's Brooklyn, and and you know, and I'm I'm going a different direction, but listen, we were in Park Slope. Now, Park Slope is one of the safest places in the universe, but my wife and I didn't know about this, so we got out out the train, we were like, yo, okay, let's watch out, 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 watch him, watch him, watch him. It's like, it's like... It's like, a, it's like a lady walking like one of those foo-foo dogs. We're like, watch her, watch her. <laughs> Gotta watch people in Brooklyn. This is Brooklyn now, you know, because we were coming from Atlanta, you know. We were coming from Atlanta and we just didn't know. We, we, we just didn't know, you know, and so I was kinda sure, I was kinda sure. And, and we, had to, we had to take a step of faith, but, but as I sought counsel, this is what people said. They said, James, I know you want him. I know you want him. So I trust the spirit of God in you more than that decision. So, I, so man, I bless the decision. Because people had seen the track record of my life. That's just, let me, another side. Y'all getting a lot of commercial breaks today because it's just what God is doing. But some of you all, when you come to me for counsel, the reason why we have long conversations sometimes is that it's not just a decision you're making. It's the process by which you're making it. Sometimes I can tell you really don't want God's best You want something immediate or expedient. You want something now. But are you really seeking God's best? In other words, are you really seeking God? Are you seeking him? Because he's not trying to guide you to good jobs and good marriages. He is guiding you to himself. And the spirit of God is there to help you know him, not just have a better life. And so that's the nature of growing in your relationship with God and growing in your relationship with the Spirit. The Spirit of God empowers you to glorify God, not just have more things. And that is one of the tragedies about the Holy Spirit and the way that it's, it's expressed in this world today. It's like the Holy Spirit to help you get money. The Holy Spirit will get, help you get this and help you get that and help you get that. Like, you know, the Holy Spirit is God, man. He's not, you remember Benson? You know. Anyway, this is the age thing is getting real, real right now. But he's not a butler, right? He is not a personal assistant. He is God, and he is guiding you to God. He is guiding you to the Lord Himself, and so you know this is this is how you grow in Him because you're seeking God, and He empowers you to do that. Um, one other point that I think is really important to note. <clears throat> The scriptures say he not only um, comforts you and counsels you, but he convicts you. Holy Spirit convicts you, okay? Now, this is when everybody goes, "Yeah, comfort, yes? Counsel, thank you. Convict, watch out, all right? John 16, eight, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. Let me just uh, make sure you understand those three parts When it says sin, obviously you know what sin is. Those are the things that you do against God. But he also convicts you of righteousness. So that means that he not only tells you what not to do, but he tells you what to do. It's not that he'll just call you out, he will call you up to what you ought to be. But then he also reminds you of judgment. That means the oncoming, the oncoming judgment that all of us will have in in the sense of eternal judgment. Okay, and so, um, and with that, the the believer is not judged based upon the relationship with God, Um, that's already sealed. That's already done. He looks at our works, all right? And so he's reminding you that one day God is going to look at the things we do in this life, and he's going to see where our heart's pure for him, right? And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you. The word convict. He convinces you so that you know that was God. And he convinces you that what you're doing right now is sin, He convinces you of what you need to do in order for the sake of righteousness. What would be the right thing to do in this moment? He convinces you, and he convicts your heart regarding the judgment that God is going to look at the things that we do. Now, when we say the word convict, it means expose. You ever been caught in a lie? I mean, like a good lie, you know, one that you really put together. You know what I'm saying? You had your... (laughs) It good lies. It's but lies. It it's good lies. You really put, try to put it together. You know, my, um, my mom, hopefully you guys meet my mom someday. She's a very funny person. And um, she caught me in a lie one time. She said, uh, when I leave out of here, don't turn on the TV. Go upstairs. Do your homework. No problem. Went upstairs. She left. Got right on the TV. I was like, boink. Here we go, you know old woman, she ain't gonna catch me doing nothing. So I was was watching TV, and um, you remember, now we have flat screens, right? Remember the TVs with the big old booty with the box and right there? We had one of those big old TVs. My mom came home, and I'm upstairs doing work, you know, homework, the last five minutes, and boy, shh, come on, man, this is why I have stories. (laughs) Let you and your mama have your stories. This is my story. When you preach, you tell that story <laughs> at your time. Thank you. So, uh, But yeah, so, so my mom, she, come, she, comes up, she comes upstairs, and you could feel the conviction in the room. She comes upstairs, she's like, come downstairs. I'm just like, oh, there's no chance. <laughs> I walk downstairs, and this is what she did. She said, feel the back of that TV. <laughs> And I was like, what you mean? She's like, just feel it. Look, look, this is, when it get, this is when it got real, real, real ratchet. Let me get your hand, let me get your hand. Put it, put it right here. So, you know, I'm feeling it. She's like, what's that feel like? I was like, it, it feels warm. And she was like, I've been gone for an hour. Why would the TV feel warm? And I was like, well, you remember, I was watching TV this morning, and she was like, you're lying and you need to stop. And I remember, man, your mother has this way about her, right, where she just just catches you and there's nothing you can do. And I I couldn't talk my way out of it. But this is the thing, she said, the reason why I'm doing this is because you have a problem, you're lazy. And you need to go upstairs and you do your work. Now listen. My mom did not only want to call me out, she called me up. She told me what to do. Now, how do you know the Holy Spirit is in your life? You can't keep doing things the same way. Now, let me just, let's have this conversation, all right? We are all about grace. Grace, grace. We are a grace-oriented church. But we do need to talk about sin. There is a problem if you continue to have unforgiveness in your heart towards people. There is a problem if you continually gossip about people. There is a problem if you continually lie about people or lie about situations. There is a problem, and here is the problem. You want all of God, but you're not doing the things you know you ought to do that he says. And this is the crazy thing. He has not, like, ignored that. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30 that when we sin, it grieves the Spirit of God. Grieving, isn't it amazing? I, you know, um, that word, grieve, it, it means disappointed and offended. It grieves the Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and he lives inside of you, and he walks with you, and he is completely aware of the things that you do. And so when words come out of your mouth that would put people down and not build them up, he gets disappointed. But he gets disappointed in the fact that he has convinced you of that truth already, and you keep doing it. God does not get grieved because you're unaware. He gets grieved because he told you already. Now, that's that parent talk, right? How many times I got it? You know, you, you heard that before? You ever had a parent go, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just, I'm just disappointed in you. And it made you cry harder. You're just like, I'm so sorry. I'm screwed up. You know, you just all that. The Spirit of God is in you grieving. Grieving about the things you may say, think, or do. And here is the other side of grieving. He is not just grieving because you already know. He's grieving because you're not willing to admit it to him. Because confession is just agreeing with God about what he says is true. I I have literally said, I will never do this again, and within the same minute did it. It's not about People having this great performance, it's confession and coming clean with God and admitting your inconsistencies. But it grieves the Spirit of God when you ignore Him and you are not willing to admit that you have those flaws. It grieves the Spirit. And so, what that tells us when we see that imagery of grieving the Spirit, it shows that the Spirit of God is a person, not an it. That he actually has emotions. That he could actually be weeping over your sin harder than you. That he gets hurt. You know, there are times when my daughter Faith and Leah, when, they, when they'll be arguing and I'll go, guys, please just stop. You're my children. I want you guys to play together. Come on, please. And I'm pleading with them because I long to see my kids love each other. And it's more than being mad at them. It is having a dream of what they could be. You see, grieving gets at this idea of, I want more for you. I know you could be so much more. I know that this community could be so much more if we didn't put each other down in front of them or behind the scenes, but build each other up. I know we could be so much more. And the Spirit grieves. And so when a person is consistently sinning and unwilling to confess. The Bible says in, in First Thessalonians, it talks about quenching the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit of God come down in the history of the church as tongues of fire. And it's this incredible, the, the, the Greek word for power, when it talks about the, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you receive power, it's this word dunamis, it's like dynamite. And so it's all these images of power and fire, and, and yet when a person is quenching the Spirit, you see that idea of quenching, like dampening, putting the water out. And maybe some of the deepest truth that you have to realize is that Your walk with God is feeling so inconsistent, not just because you're imperfect, but you're proud, and you're unwilling to confess those things that you know you are doing to him. And because of that, the Spirit of God is so ignored in your life. It's not that he's there, it's not that he's not there, nor is he unavailable. It's that you've just been throwing water on the Spirit. You've just been you've been dampening the work of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit in your life. And in many ways, he has disengaged a person who has ignored him. One of the words that gets used is helper. Helper. Um, in, a, in a few weeks, my wife and I were gonna move to a new apartment. Praise God. And uh, everybody that clapped, I know I can call on you. Praise God. You do find your friends when you move, praise God. Now imagine if I said, hey, come over, help me move. And when you come over my house, you sit down and I do all the boxing and I do everything. And when it comes time to pick up that TV, I I do it by myself. And when it comes time to arrange all the clothes and all that stuff, I do it on my own. And what you do is you, you just sit there and you watch me. And you say, hey, do you need some help? You go, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. I got it, I'm good. And there comes this point where if you came over and the very purpose of you being there was to help, but I never say, help me, then the purpose of your presence doesn't make sense anymore. Because the whole point you came there was to help, but you got to say, help me. Can you help me lift this? It's very, very weighty. And I need someone to help me. Can you help me organize this because it's confusing me? Would you help me? Help me. And, and, and if you came to somebody's house to help them pack, you go, oh, well, that's why I'm here. That's the very purpose of my presence. Yes, I'll help you. Yes. And, and if you asked me to organize your bills, that, that would be a bad move. I need to be the one picking up the TV because that's not what God gave me to to do. But listen, because I'm incomplete and there's a lot of things I I lack power in. But the spirit of the living God, the third person of the Trinity, the person that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And when you ask him to help you, there's nothing that he can't do. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to do everything, but it means you have help available to you. But you've got to ask for help. You've got to be able to ask for help. You've got to be able to say, I need you to, I need your power for this addiction. I just can't stop, I want to so bad. And I need you to help me. And then when you do it again, say help me again. And then when you do it again, say help me again. And it may take you a day, a month, a year, or a decade, don't stop saying help me. The Spirit of God is there to, help. You must address his presence. He is not going anywhere. He is not going anywhere. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website bridgechurchnyc.com Thanks again for listening to this week's message.